Welcome and thank you for listening to the Okuo Church Podcast. We exist so that people will be in community with Jesus and one another. We'll do that by listening to God, loving people, leading by empowering others, and linking to our community. We hope you enjoy it. Hello, Okuo. Last week, we finished up our series, Build on Belief, and what we did there was try to figure out what to do with our lives once we have started to believe in Jesus. Essentially, we talked about what it looks like is that we got to love. We got to love everyone. Now, one of the people that would be included in everyone is ourselves. We got to be able to give ourselves the grace that we are supposed to give everyone else. I mean, that makes sense, but what if we don't even know who we even are? How, how do we figure out how to love ourselves in any way, give ourselves grace in any way? Well, that's why for the next three weeks, we will have Pastor Sherry Richard from City Church joining us. During that time, she will lead us on a deep and sometimes challenging journey to figure out who we are in this world. Sherry serves as the Connect Pastor at City Tribe, so she spends her time making sure that people are able to understand who they are and how they fit into their community in the absolute best way possible. Sherry has a fantastic series lined up for you, and I am so excited that she's going to be with us here for the next three weeks. So without further ado, here is Pastor Sherry Richard. Who are you? It seems like a simple enough question, right? Like if you asked me, who am I? I'd say, well, I'm Sherry. I'm 33 years old. Oh, actually, I just turned 34. I forgot. Um, I'm about five foot nine. If I stand up really tall, I weigh some number of pounds. Um, I have brown hair. I have brown eyes. That's a pretty good physical description of me. But is that who I am? Because let's say I changed my physical appearance. I, I cut my hair off. I put in colored contacts, maybe even changed my name, had plastic surgery. Would I still be me? Well, yeah, most of us would agree that I would still, in fact, be me. So there must be more to my identity than just the information you can find on my driver's license. All right, so maybe some intangible things, like uh, I'm a Texan. Well, no, that's not who I am. That's just where I live. Okay, well, I'm a pastor. Certainly that's where my identity lies. Well, no, as much as I love being a pastor, as much as I feel called to be a pastor, that's my job. That's not who I am. All right, what about the things that are, that are kind of unique about me? Like, um, I love music, I love being outside, I love gardening and hiking, I love birds. Well, those are my interests. So who am I? All right, what about the unique roles I play in my life? Because those are so important to each and every one of us, right? I'm a mom, I'm a sister, I'm a wife, I'm a friend. Like, certainly that's where my identity lies. Well, no, those are just the unique roles that I play in the relationships in my life. So who am I? No matter who you are, we have all struggled with our identity, all right? Identity issues do not discriminate. It doesn't matter your age, your ethnic background, how much money you make, if you're male or female, we have all asked the question, who am I? Or you've heard of a midlife crisis, right? right? A midlife crisis is an identity crisis. Or am I doing the things to become the person that I want to be? Am I going to leave a lasting legacy? And most importantly, and I can't emphasize this enough, does the sports car make me look younger? The answer is no. And so a midlife crisis is an identity crisis. Who am I? 
A handful of years ago, social scientists, they coined the term quarter-life crisis as they started to recognize these same anxieties that people typically face in middle age. They started seeing these anxieties in people in their 20s and even their late teens as they feel the pressure of having to identify themselves. Like, am I going to get into the right school? Am I going to get the full-time job? Am I going to meet society's deadline for the house, the spouse, and the 401k? Who am I? And I wish I could say that identity issues didn't go any younger than the late teens, but research is now starting to focus on kids as young as nine years old as they're struggling with their identities. Magnet schools are a fantastic example of this as we're asking kids that are eight and nine years old to start to make decisions to get into middle school magnet school programs. They're making decisions when they're nine so that they can have an advantage in their future career fields. And even worse, we have all these voices coming into their lives through social media and TV telling them that they need to identify themselves in significant and sometimes toxic ways at a very young age. All you have to do is get on your middle schoolers' social media accounts to see exactly who the world is telling them that they need to be. Y'all, when I was nine years old, I was practicing Power Ranger moves on my neighbor's trampoline. Or when somebody asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, it didn't feel like a contract. But that is the world that we're living in. It doesn't matter if you're nine years old or you're 90 years old. We have all struggled with our identities. And on top of it, all the many, many litanies of voices in our lives, right? Uh, people telling us what kind of spouse we need to be, people telling us the kind of friend we need to be, telling us how much money we need to make if we want to be successful, telling us how woke we need to be in our current toxic cancel culture, telling us if we need to identify further left politically or further right and how vocal we need to be about those opinions. There are so many voices telling us who we need to be. It is no wonder we struggle with our identities. And all of these identity struggles, they come with one common flaw. And that's we're told over and over again that what we do determines who we are. This is the formula that we're fed and as soon as we have ears to hear is the formula that we're fed and it's the formula that we continue to feed ourselves over and over again. It's that what I do determines who I am. And I don't know about you, but this formula, it's just never worked for me. And I have a feeling that it doesn't work for you either. And so I'd like to suggest a solution because I don't really think that it's what I do that determines who I am. I think we have it backwards. I think that it's who I am that determines what I do. And perhaps even more accurate, it's who I believe I am that will determine what I do, will determine how I live my life, will determine how I love others. Who I believe I am matters. But this brings us all the way back around to the same question we started with. Who am I? And so the Apostle Paul, he is one of the primary writers of our Christian scriptures. And he's someone that struggled with his, his identity a great deal. 
And so Paul's gig was that he traveled around the Mediterranean, around kind of uh, Europe and over into what we would call today the Middle East. And he would share the good news of Jesus. And everywhere he went, he would plant churches. He would tell people about Jesus. They would come to believe and then they would continue to tell others. And this is how the movement of Jesus moved forward in the first century. And every time he went into a new community, what he would do is he wouldn't just leave them uh, to kind of hang high and dry when he left. What he would do instead is he would start these churches and then he would write letters to them uh, to kind of instruct them and help them with whatever they were facing. And one of the topics that he addresses very directly is identity. And so today I want us to look at a letter that he wrote to people in a place called Corinth. Now, Corinth was a, a, um, a oh goodness, what's the word? A, a port town, a port city that had lots of people that would have come through it very often. And Corinth was a place that was known for its vices. It was a modern day Las Vegas, if you will, but kind of times 10. In fact, in my research, I found a Greek word that I have never seen before. It doesn't show up in scripture. However, it shows up in uh, Greek culture in the first century. And the word was Corinthiosomai, and the word means to behave like a Corinthian. And it was a euphemism, an insult, um, a euphemism for sexual immorality. So even to be called a Corinthian was like the punchline in a dirty joke. These Corinthians were folks that were all too familiar with this formula that the world feeds us, this formula that what I do determines who I am. And so Paul writes to them, and one of the issues he addresses is this. And so let's jump in. We are going to look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. And this is what it, what it says. It says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. All right, so I want us to look at a couple of things in this verse that I think are so important. First of all, I want us to talk about these words, in Christ. It says, if anyone is in Christ. All right, these are terms that are used throughout our Christian scriptures. So it's important that we understand what this means. What does it mean to be in Christ? All right, first let's talk about what it doesn't mean. All right, being in Christ does not mean inside Christ, like you park your car inside your garage or like you might have barbacoa in big red inside your stomach right now. That's not how it works. All right, in Christ means united with Christ. It means that you belong with Christ. And more accurately, what we believe is that if you have believed in Jesus, you are in Christ. The Apostle John, he was an eyewitness to the life of Jesus, and he says it like this. He says, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, right? To those who believed. When we believe in Jesus, we are in Christ, and once we are in Christ, you cannot be outside of Christ. It does not work like that. If you have believed in Jesus, you are in Christ. That is who you are. And so let's jump into another part of this verse that I think is so significant. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. So let's focus on this word new for a minute, because on the surface, we all know what the word new means. But interestingly, this Greek word is often translated as a fresh in other places in the New Testament and in Greek culture. 
And when we add the word fresh to this word new, it adds an additional layer. It makes me think of, when I think of the word fresh, it makes me think of my time in student ministry. And so if you're in student ministry, you likely spend most of your summers taking kids to camp. And this was something that I did for a lot of years. Every summer I'd take middle school and high school students to camp in July in South Texas. It's hot and I don't recommend it. But every summer we would go to summer camp. And it's like every camp, no matter where you go, has kind of an evening routine that's about the same. All right, after a long day of outdoor activities and fun, typically you send the kids back to their dorms or to their cabins to go and get cleaned up before dinner. And so this is exactly what we would do. We'd send all these middle school and high school students to their dorms to go get cleaned up. Now, most of them, when they heard cleaned up, get cleaned up, they thought, oh, I should go take a shower, right? That's what you and I would probably do. But God gifted us with a magnificent beast known as middle school boys. And there would always be a group of middle school boys who would come back suspiciously quickly after we told them to get cleaned up. Once they would get within about 10 feet of you, you would quickly realize that they had in fact not showered, but had instead doused themselves from head to toe in Axe body spray. All right, if you don't know what Axe body spray is, you just need to thank the Lord for his provision in your life because it is not good. All right, these young men, they thought that they smelled so fresh, but in fact, they could not have been further from it. All right, when something is new, guys, when it's truly new, it's fresh. It's not something old that's covered in Axe body spray. It's not a new paint job on an old car. It's not barbacoa that's been in the back of your fridge that you warm up. No, it is truly new. If you have believed in Christ, if you, are, you, if you have believed in Jesus, you are in Christ and you have been made new. All right, let's look at the next part of this verse together. It says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So we talked about what new meant. Let's talk about what old means for a moment together. And so each and every one of us, we come from diverse backgrounds. We have different upbringings. We grew up in different homes. We're from different places. We have different experiences. No two of us are exactly the same. But there is something that we all have in common. And that's before we believe in Jesus, before we were in Christ, we were separated from God. Our sin separated us from God. And that is what old means here. Old things have gone. That separation has gone. You have been made new. You are united with God. You are in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Do you believe that you are new? You know, on paper, I think it's really easy to say, yes, Sherry, I get it, I'm new. You've said it about 45 times now. Can we move on? On paper, it's easy, but in our hearts, getting that information to go from our mind to our hearts and from our hearts to our hands and our feet is so very difficult. It's so very difficult to take this identity and actually hold tight to it. So I wanna show you one more example from scripture that I think is so significant for us to hear. And so we have been looking at a letter that Paul wrote to Corinth. All right, we talked about the Corinthians. We've been talking about them this whole time. 
All right, and these folks, they were a lot like you and a lot like me. They were figuring out what it looked like to follow Jesus. They were people with very real struggles in their lives, very real hangups in their lives. In fact, in other parts in his letter to Corinth, Paul addresses serious sexual immorality and promiscuity. He addresses taking advantage of one another and not having integrity in business dealings, right? Like business ethics. He talks about divorce. He talks about harmful influences. He talks about wavering faith, right? Very real things that are happening in their lives in real time. But I want you to pay attention to how he addresses them. This is how Paul addresses the Corinthians. This is 1 Corinthians 1-2. It says, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Saints. He calls them saints. Now, many of us have preconceived notions when it comes to this word, saints. Maybe you grew up Catholic or kind of Catholic adjacent, and the way you've heard this word used over and over again is to describe exemplary people, people that are just fantastic examples of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Some of you may use it more casually. I know I find myself using this word casually. Like if it's a Monday morning and you're really dragging and a coworker brings you a cup of coffee, you might say, oh my goodness, thank you so much. You are such a saint. All right, whatever end of the spectrum you fall in or anywhere in between, the way we use the word saint is typically dependent on the behavior of the person. We call someone a saint because of what they've done. But we have to remember, in Paul's letter to Corinth, he isn't addressing particularly exemplary people. He's addressing people with very real struggles. And yet, he calls them Saints. This isn't an isolated incident. We can look over at um, a letter that Paul wrote to a place called Colossae, and he says to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, these aren't particularly exemplary people either. In his letter to them, he addresses anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, greed, idolatry, and yet he calls them saints. In his letter to the people in Rome, all right, in his letter to Rome, he talks about sin more than anywhere else in the New Testament, times two. Sin is talked about a ton in his letter to the Romans. He even addresses his own sin in that letter. And yet, Romans 1-7, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. In his letter to Ephesus, another city where he went and planted churches, he says to the saints, who are in Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. He calls them saints. In contrast, our Christian scriptures never refer to believers as sinners. Or you need to hear that again. Our Christian scriptures never refer to believers as sinners. 
Because the authors of our Christian scriptures, they understand something that you and I, that we need to hold tightly to right now. All right, does scripture talk about sin? Absolutely. Does it talk about the sin of believers? Yes, a ton. I've just given you a litany of examples. It does not pull any punches. Are the authors of our Christian scriptures talk about sin directly and yet they never call believers sinners. It's because they understand that when we have believed in Jesus, our identity is no longer sinner but saint because we are not defined by what we do. And we have to grab and hold tightly onto that. You are not old. You are new. You are not a sinner. You are a saint. In 1865, the 13th Amendment went into effect here in the United States. And it banned slavery in all of its forms, right? These, it, it freed men and women created in the image of God. They were no longer slaves. They were no longer three-fifths of a person in the eyes of the law. They were no longer subject to their slave drivers. They were free. And this amendment went into effect on December the 6th, 1865. So here's the question that we have to answer. How many slaves were there on December the 7th, 1865? How many slaves were there the next day? On paper, none. Each and every person that was here in the United States was a free person in the eyes of the law, no longer slaves, no longer captive. The old was gone. And yet in practice, nothing could have been further from the truth. Some folks did hear this information. They were able to take it in and they were able to step into their new identity as free men and free women. Others heard this news and they didn't know what to do with it. At absolutely no fault of their own, no fault of their own, all they had ever known was slavery. They didn't know whether or not to believe this information. They didn't know how to step into this new life. They were lied to in many ways. And many never had the opportunity to step into this new life that was theirs. And in way too many instances, evil abounded in such significant and terrible ways. As this news was kept from free men and free women. They were never even given the opportunity to step into their new identity, which is tragic and evil. If someone is free, nothing, and no one should keep them from that freedom. It is theirs without exception. It belongs to them. That identity is theirs. If you have believed in Jesus, you are in Christ. That is your identity, without exception. And no one and nothing, even yourself, should keep you from living in that identity. It belongs to you. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have been made new. Do you believe that you're new? What I do does not determine who I am, 
but who I believe I am will determine what I do. It will determine how I live my life. It will determine how I love others. It will determine the grace that I make able to extend myself and others. It will determine how I live out my unique purpose. What we believe about ourselves matters. You know, all too often, we only live out of half of the gospel. All right, think about Easter with me for a moment. All right, on Good Friday, Jesus died on the cross for you and for me. He was taken and and he was buried in a borrowed tomb for my sins and for your sins. And so often we live out of that half of the gospel, but we can't miss the second half because on Sunday, Jesus didn't stay in that tomb. Jesus was risen again to new life. And you and I, too often, we live like it's still Friday and not like it's Sunday. Because believe it or not, Jesus did not come just to address your sin. You need to hear that again. Jesus did not just come to address your sin. Did Jesus die for your sins? Absolutely. Thank you, Jesus, forever and ever. Amen. But he also was risen again so that you could step into new life. We have to stop living like it's Friday, and we have to start living like it's Sunday. We have to stop looking in the mirror, believing that we're looking in the eyes of a sinner. And we have to begin to look in the mirror and believe that we are looking in the eyes of a saint. We have to stop walking around the world, believing that we are old and start to recognize that we are new. Who do you believe that you are? And so right now, if you're someone who's never believed in Jesus. This identity that I'm talking about isn't yours yet. Because it really is as simple as believing. And when you believe in Jesus, it's not just a step for salvation. It's not just a step to forgive you of your sins, even though that is very, very true. It's also the step that you take to take, that you can jump into and step into your new identity in Christ as a saint, not a sinner, as new, not old, as free. That identity can belong to you and it really is as simple as believing. I have a couple of statements right now that I wanna make. If we were together in person, I would ask you to say these with me. But I'm gonna say them, and I hope that you'll repeat them with me. Whether just in your mind, whether out loud in your heart, whatever that looks like. Because understanding and really believing these statements will change your life. And so I want you to say these with me. I have been made new. Say it again, I have been made new. You read that in in 2 Corinthians 5.17, I have been made new. I am a saint. I am a saint. You are a saint. Scripture does not call you a sinner, but a saint, because that is your identity. I am complete in Christ. Yes, you are. Say, I am complete in Christ. And I am am united in the Lord. My old self is gone. That separation is gone. And in Christ, I am united with the Lord. And so right now, I want us to pray together. And 
whether you've believed for 30 seconds or for 30 years, I'm gonna pray that each of us would begin to recognize who we are in Christ because understanding who our identity in Christ will change our lives, will change the way that we love the people in our lives, will change the way that we show grace to ourselves and others, will change the way that we live out our unique purpose. Who do you believe that you are? Will you pray with me? So God, we thank you so much that in you, in Christ, we are no longer sinners, but saints. We are no longer old, but new. We are no longer defined by our worst days, but yet we are defined by the love of our Savior. God, thank you for that. If you're watching or you're, and you're listening right now and you're someone who's never believed in Jesus but you're ready to take that step, it truly is as easy as saying, Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I believe in you. Whether you say it out loud, whether you say it in your heart, you think it in your mind, it doesn't matter. There isn't this perfect way to do it. God's not petty. He's not in those kinds of details. What he cares about is that you believe in Jesus and what it is that he has done for you. And so right now, whether you've believed for 30 seconds or 30 years, God, I pray right now for each of us that we, that you would start to reveal to us what it means for us to be in Christ. I pray that you would take down the barriers that keep us from living out of the identity that you have given us, to live out of the identity that is rightfully ours when we have believed in you. Take down those barriers, God. Take down our egos, take down our pride, take down the people in our lives that take away the voices in our lives that are telling us that we're old, that are telling us that we're wrong, that are telling us that, are, that we're bad. God, please help us just to take away those voices so that we can focus our attention on you and begin to recognize who we are in you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Okay, well, all of you give, join me in giving it up for Sherry. If you're watching live online, you know, give her a thumbs up emoji, tell her thank you, tell her how awesome it was. Um, you know, just, just kind of give her like, you know, a raise the roof gif. I don't know if you can put those in, but maybe you can, I don't know. Uh, either way, thank you, Sherry, for your message today. We love and appreciate you, and we cannot wait until uh, the next couple of weeks. Now, before we go, there are a few things that I do need to update you on. The first thing I want to talk about is what we've been hitting on for the last few weeks. Uh, is we're, As we've been talking about loving people, we want to do these things in very practical ways, right? Like there's, there's a very practical way that we can love people sometimes. Sometimes it's sending a meal when they're hungry. Sometimes it's cutting someone's lawn. Sometimes it's handing a bottle of Gatorade to uh, one of our unsheltered friends that we come across. Whatever it is, I want you to look around your community. I want you to see where there might be a need. I want you to lean into the thing that you're passionate about. Whatever it is that you feel like you're, you're just so passionate about and you want to be a part of, I, I want you to go find that thing in your community. And then from there, tell us what's needed. And Akua will go help you love the community. We could do it with resources, like we could just hook you up with the stuff to go do the thing. Or it could be with people. We could have the whole church show up and, and help you out. I, I don't know what, what it might be, but whatever it is, I want you to reach out to us when you find it. 
Now to do that, you can email me directly at humby.sedaveta at akuo.church. Now I am looking forward to seeing how we will be linking to our community next, and I'm looking forward to seeing how God will speak to you to serve your community. Now the next thing I want to talk about is all the different ways that we can be sacrificially generous here to Kuo. Now, uh, we, we talk about this every week, guys. I don't care how you are doing it, uh, what you decide to give, uh, but what I want you to do is be listening to God to see what you should be giving. Now, if you aren't sure where to start, or if you haven't heard from the Lord just yet, one of the many ways that you can express your generosity here to Kuo is through the biblical method of generosity called tithing, which means giving a first fruit 10% offering to the storehouse, which is your local church. That could be where you start. Now, sacrificial giving might not be a possibility for you right now. I, I totally understand. Things are absolutely crazy. In, inflation is, is up to 9%. Uh, you know, um, everything has been nuts right now. Everything costs more. Everything takes a lot more. And our salaries haven't gone up 9% probably in the last month or two. So uh, if you need help right now, we want to be linked to you during your tough time. If you need food, if you need help with your rent, if you need a phone bill paid, an electricity bill paid, let us know. And we would love to be linked to you during this time. To do that, all you have to do is go to our website, akuo.church, and click on the Contact Us link. You can also send an email to us at help at akuo.church, or you can call or text the church at 210-901-8785. Now, if you are willing to give here and able to give here at Akuo Church, the way you can do that is by going to our website, akuo.church. Now, when you get there, all you have to do is click on the giving link and follow the instructions. We also have our text-to-tithe option. For that, all you have to do is text akuo, A-K-O-U-O, and the dollar amount you want to give to the number 77977. If you don't want to give electronically, we also have our P.O. box available if you feel more comfortable sending your gift through a check. For that, all you have to do is mail it to akuo at P.O. box 100 125 San Antonio, Texas, 78201. All right, guys, that's all that we have for you today. I just want you to know that we love and appreciate all of you, and we will be praying for you all week long. So before we go, let me just pray over you one last time. So Jesus, I just ask that as these people turn off their TVs, put away their phones, uh, you know, and, and just get away from, from this right now, I pray that you would continue to speak to them throughout the week. I pray that you would continue to show them who they are. I pray that you would show them that they are not sinners. You do not call them a sinner, but you call them loved, you call them son, you call them daughter. I pray that you would allow them to experience that and then show people that throughout their week. We thank you for everything, Jesus. We love you, and we pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right, that's all that we have for you this week. We will see you next time. Thanks for spending time with us today. You can find this message and any recent sermon available on demand at our website, akuo.church. That's A-K-O-U-O dot church. Also, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Akuo Church. Welcome to the community. We hope to hear from you soon.